0: to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold the glory, God, in the face of Christ,
1: it shows us who
0: When Joshua knew his death was near, he gathered the nation of Israel to Shechem, a place of memorial where Abraham built the very first altar to the Lord. Joshua wanted them to remember that God is faithful and he would keep his covenant and promises. Here is part two of Cheryl's message titled, Remember. We also
1: need to remember so we can resolve, make the right resolve, not only our response, but then our determination, what we will do. See, response is just kind of a natural reaction, but a resolve is a place that we establish ourselves in. Joshua recognized this. And in Joshua chapter 24, because Joshua knew that the time of his death was so near, he gathered again the nation of Israel to Shechem, to a place of memorial, a place where Abraham built the very first altar to the Lord their great-great-great-great-grandfather had been in this place, built an altar to the Lord, and it was at this place that God told Abraham, this land is yours and to your descendants. There Joshua reminds them first of their origin or their lineage, verses three through four. He reminds them that they did not come from nobility, but God called their great-great-grandfather, he was not perfect. He was called out from a family of idolaters. Their roots came from the other side of the Euphrates. They didn't deserve by lineage all that God had given them. You know, this became problematic for Israel because they often thought their rights were because of who they were related to that that's why we have rights. And John the Baptist called him out on this. And he says, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So we're just totally covered, we're okay. He said, because God is able to raise up from these very rocks, children to Abraham. So he reminds them, it was God moving in Abraham. It was God making the promises to Abraham. Abraham was an old man with a beautiful wife and a tent. That's it. But God blessed him. God chose him. God gave him promises and descendants and the land of Israel to possess. It was all God for Abraham, just like it would need to be all God for them. God made them a nation in Egypt after Jacob And the patriarchs returned there. Joshua reminded the assembly of their deliverance from Egypt by God. Verses 5 through 7. For their sake, God had plagued Egypt. God had brought them out with a mighty deliverance, putting darkness between the Egyptians and Israel so that the Egyptians could not touch them. That cloud that covered Israel came down and stood between the two, so the Egyptians were not able to touch or get through to the Israelites. And to the Egyptians, it was darkness and obscurity, and to Israel, it was light. When the Israelites were incapable of becoming a nation or saving themselves, God intervened and brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. And he drowned the Egyptians, their chariots, their army, and their horses in the sea. Joshua then reminds them of how God sustained them through the wilderness, verse seven. He tells them, you dwelt in the wilderness a really long time, 40 years. And they need to be reminded of this. Remember the wilderness. Remember there was a deliverance. Remember there was bondage. Because now they've been in the land 30 years. They've established their habits, their routines, their lifestyle. And when you move to a certain place, you tend to forget the past and all you've come through to get here. You know, I was, I was born at Santa Ana Community Hospital. For the most part of my life, I lived in Costa Mesa, California. Then when I got married, oh, college, forget college. But after college, um, moving back, then moving down to Vista with Brian, we lived there for 13 years. Then we moved to England. And, you know, when I was in England, I felt like I lived in England all my life. When I moved back from England, back to Orange County, it's like I never left. I've always lived here. And when I go down to Vista, I get lost. 13 years. And I can't even find my way to my old house to show people where I used to live. It's crazy. And so they needed to be reminded because they had been in this place for 30 years. And you know this saying, out of sight, out of mind? I don't know if that's true of you, but it is of moi. And I don't even speak French because I forgot it. But the years of wondering are forgotten amidst the duties of farming and life, towns and houses, and enjoyment and joy. But God had brought them into this land of the Amorites, who had formerly possessed this land. Joshua reminds them in verses 8 through 12 of how God gave them victory on the east side of the Jordan against the Amorites over the curses of Balaam. God refused to hear those curses. God turned Balaam's curses to blessings. God delivered them out of the hand of the Moabites who Balaam was working for. He reminds them of their victory over Jericho, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Come on. You say those things quickly. But this is it. God reminds them of their victory over their enemies, over the curses, and over the kingdoms, and over nature. Because he says, I drove some of these people out by the hornet, and it wasn't because of your sword or bow, but because of me and my intentions as God. Joshua then reminds them of all that God has given them, verse 13, the land that they did not labor for, the cities they did not build, the vineyards and olive groves that they did not plant. After reminding the Israelites of God's good activity in their lives, he calls them to respond appropriately. Verses 14 through 15. You see, he first reminds them because without these reminders, they might have the wrong response. They might say, well, what will the gods of this land do for us? They need to remember who they are, their history, and all they have, so that they will respond appropriately. It is much like Paul beseeching the Romans in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He has spent chapters 1 all the way to 11, showing them the condemnation on the world and God's great mercy towards those who are in Christ Jesus and all that Christ has accomplished for them and especially that apex of chapter eight, there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, therefore, remembering what I've been telling you, your reasonable response is to give yourself completely unreservedly to God. This is the appropriate response. Joshua also tells them that it's not only the appropriate response because of all God has done, but it's the appropriate response because of all God has promised. You see, settling in the land is not the end. And that's something else that we need to remember, that where we are is not The end, it's not the end. No matter what birthday you just had, it's not the end. It is just the beginning. God wants to establish us in the promises and then show others by our life. This is what the promises look like because the world needs visuals. They're so used to visuals, think about it. Everything is visualized now, isn't it? Whether it's on your computer You know, whether it's a presentation, everyone's using visuals but me. Because I'm not computer literate enough to put animal faces up there. Besides that, if I did visuals, it'd probably just be all Barnabas, my dog, and that would be
0: really sick.
1: So God wants to use you as a visual. Once you get in the place, once you're in those promises, to show this is what God does to those who walk with him. In light of all that God does, what is their reasonable response? First, it's to fear the Lord. And, and when he's talking about fear, he's, he's saying to reverence the Lord, to honor the Lord, to recognize his greatness, greater than all other gods, greater than all the enemies, greater than all the odds, his goodness, his power, his grace, his generosity. This is not a God that you want to turn from. This is not a God that it is safe to try to negotiate with. Next, he says, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Truly worship the Lord. No pretense, no laziness, no feigning or lying before the Lord. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried that in prayer. I have. Lord, I really love this person, but... Lord's Like, like, well, let's stop at base one. You don't love them. What? But Lord, did you hear how sweet my voice was when I talked to them? Yes, and that's your fake voice. Your children know that voice. It's that truth in the inward parts that according to the psalmist, God desires. That absolute Honesty. Lord, you already know my heart. There is nothing hidden to you. So I come to God in absolute honesty. And I serve the Lord. Now, when he's talking about serving, he's talking about God's way. He's telling these people, you can't serve God any way you choose. That's part of the sincerity and truth. First it's the sincerity, but now we move to truth. You can't choose the way you're gonna serve God. God says, here's the way, here's the way right here that you can serve me. This is it, and this is the only way. And he set up one tabernacle, not many tabernacles over Israel, one tabernacle, because he was preparing these people that there would be one place, one way, one savior, Jesus Christ, his son. Just as there was only one high priest who could offer the sacrifices. So there would be one son, one savior. There's this preparing. You cannot serve the Lord just any old way you, you want to. Well, I want to serve the Lord, but I want to call him Tommy. No, it won't work. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Yeshua. It's the same name. And that's the only way by which we can serve the Lord. Jesus talking to the woman at the well. She said, well, you know, you guys, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. We worship here, Mount Gerizim. And he said, woman, the time is coming when those who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. For God is seeking such. You must worship God in spirit and truth. There's no other way. So he tells them, thirdly, to put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, remembering, remembering how God fought for you, remembering what God has done for you. This is the only appropriate response. Why should I keep trash? Why should I keep useless Things that can't do anything for me, but might be a stumbling block for my children. Now, it's shocking to me as I, I read this that they still have some idols, that they've still been holding on. Maybe not worshiping, but holding it as a backup plan. Well, if God doesn't come through, I've always got my idol. But he's saying it's time to fully and exclusively Worship and serve the Lord. Joshua then gives them an ultimatum in verse 15. After this reminder of God's greatness, goodness, and generosity toward them, Joshua offers them a choice. It must be one or the other, but not both. You cannot serve God and your idols. One has to move. They can choose, option one, they can serve the gods on the other side of the river, They can serve the Egyptian gods, the Amorite gods, or the Chaldean gods that Abraham and his family, his father served, or the gods of the land, or they can respond and serve the Lord God who called Abraham, fulfilled his word and promises, made them a nation, delivered them from bondage drowned their greatest enemy, led them and sustained them through the wilderness, fought for them, brought them into the land, gave them houses, lands, cities, vineyards, and groves. To me, it's a no-brainer. You know? Serve the gods of these defeated enemies, of those who drowned in the Red Sea, or serve the living God who has done all these great things for you. You know, I think of it kind of like a custody battle, you know? Like you can live with your heavenly father who has done all these great things for you. Or you can choose the wicked stepmother. I'm sorry, if you're a stepmother, you're not wicked. This one was, the worldly one is, who is abusive, who ignores you, who never takes your phone calls. And really, she's actually buried in a grave someplace. Which one? Joshua's resolve is clear. He says, as for me, here's his response and his resolve as for me and my house. We're going with the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. As I'm looking at both options, I've already chosen the Lord and so is my whole household. Then the people give their resolve. It's gone from a response, now it's a resolve. Verses 16 through 24, the people respond. Oh, first response, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I love that, far be it from us. We'll put them away. At this point, they're saying, it's not even a consideration. These other gods, they're not even a consideration. We'll do it, Joshua. We wanna do it, far be it from us to go to those empty gods of the defeated nations. And then the people themselves recall the work of the Lord. Verses 17 through 18. It's the Lord our God. He's the one who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. God brought us out of bondage. God did the great signs in our sight. God preserved us in the way when we went among the people we passed. The Lord drove them out before us. Joshua then reminds the people of the exclusivity of serving God in verses 19 through 20. He reminds them again. Again, this is the second reminder. You cannot serve the Lord and other gods because the Lord is a holy God. He is separate. He is set apart. He's unique. He's unlike any of the gods of this world. And the Lord is a jealous God. That word jealous actually means exclusive. It can be translated exclusive as easily as jealous. He's an exclusive God. Now, I hope that my husband, Brian, and I know he is, he's an exclusive husband. He is mine alone. And, you know, just because some of you are pretty cute, I just want to remind you of that. But I don't think you'd be at the women's ministry if you were after Brian. I know who those women are. We call them the casserole women because when the wife dies, they're the first one at the door with a casserole for the husband. (laughs) My mom used to joke about the casserole women that would be lining up around the block if anything ever happened to her. But the Lord is an exclusive God. And Joshua tells them he will not forgive those who transgress or sin. Here's the sin. By turning away from him and serving other gods. Why? Because there is no blessing, there is no grace, there is no forgiveness apart from God. This is it. You're turning to emptiness and expecting God to bless the emptiness, to bless the idolatry, to bless the rebellion. He can't. There is no forgiveness. There is no grace apart from God. None. Now for the second time, the people declare their resolve to serve the Lord. First in verse 18, we will serve the Lord for he is our God. Now, second time, verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. It's almost like reverse psychology, huh? Joshua's like, no, I don't think you can. Yes, we can. I'm not sure of it. Yes, we can. Joshua presses the importance of their resolve and commitment in verse 22. He wants them to know the seriousness of the resolve that they're making. He says, you are witnesses. It is not a decision by coercion. It's not to be of the moment. It is to be reasoned out after remembering and considering the options and the benefits of each option. Putting away the foreign gods, it's time to finally get rid of them completely so you can't go back to them. And then they are to incline their hearts to the Lord In other words, their reliance, their first response is now to be the Lord, the Lord. You know, as you grow in Christ, one of the most awesome things is when your inclination becomes to pray. Something terrible happens and you go, let's pray. You know, or you could be my mom who would just be praying. We'd be like, oh, she's praying. She's not talking to us. You know, just that response. And that's what Joshua is talking about, that inclination towards the Lord, that when crisis or when blessing, when an enemy, no matter what happens, right away, it's to call upon the Lord. It's their first thought. It's their first movement. Now for the third time, in verse 24, the people declare, the Lord our God, we will serve in his voice. We will obey. Now Joshua creates another memorial, Because again, God knows we need reminders. Think of the memorials they already have, that they've already done on this side of the Jordan, inside the Jordan, you know, in Gelgal, this side of the Jordan. But they also need the memorial of fellowship to be with people who remember what the Lord has done. They need the feasts of the Lord and to come back to the tabernacle at least three times a year to commemorate together all that God has done. They need the tabernacle, this this tent that has come all the way through the wilderness with them as a reminder of God's faithfulness and his presence and his reality. And they need God's word, those commandments, these physical reminders. So Joshua creates another memorial in verses 25 through 28. He takes a large stone and rolls it under an oak tree by the sanctuary of the Lord, and he announces, I love this, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. Aren't stones interesting things? They seem so lifeless, yet this one heard the words of the Lord, the declaration, the resolve of the people. It was a witness, and it would be a memorial. You know, I think about, I wonder, before the great white throne, if there'll, if these people be like, no, I lived a good life. All right, that's it. Roll the rocks in. Bring them all in. And I think this is incredible because I remember when Jesus was making his triumphant entry, remember that? In Luke chapter 19, and the Pharisees said, "'Do you hear your disciples and all the multitude, "'what they're saying about you?' And he said, "'Yes,' and if they kept quiet, what? "'The very stones would cry out.'"
0: Joshua knew that for Israel to prosper, they must remember God and walk closely with Him. He reminded them of God's greatness, goodness, and generosity to them over the years. He gave them a choice, an ultimatum. They could not serve God and idols. It had to be one or the other, but not both. The Lord is an exclusive God who will not tolerate idolatry. Joshua made his decision clear to them when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua hoped Israel would take heed and do the same for all future generations. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at Joshua's final days as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com.